Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trading mixed this morning. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is Ryan Huang. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Michelle. We start the week off where we left off on Friday, Ryan, with the investing world focused on the struggling banking sector. That's a phrase that does not roll off the tongue, struggling banks. Now, the big news this morning is UBS is going to buy Credit Suisse. Swiss regulators brokered the three billion US dollar deal. Now, some observers say they twisted arms to make it happen in order to save Credit mm-hmm. Suisse. Give us an overview of the details, what we know about the deal, and what exactly the Swiss government had to promise in order to really make this deal happen, Ryan? Yeah, it was really a scramble over the weekend. I was tracking this in the past few days and depending on which day you looked at it, which hour you looked at it, the headlines just kept changing. At one stage, there were plenty of options on the table. One of them included privatizing or at least partially nationalizing Credit Suisse. Then you had UBS in the mix, possibly buying it. Then the price was too low. Credit Suisse was pushing back. Well, finally, we are at the finishing or finishing line where we have now the deal on the table. It's a done deal. UBS is buying Credit Suisse for $3.2 billion. And this is a big deal. For many years, I think people would not have fathomed this happening. Two big Swiss banks combining. Now, it is going to be a new era for Swiss banking. And... A couple of things to take note is it will be also assuming some of the debt that Crisis holds, and this is around $5 billion. Of course, there will be other implications as well. We'll have to see the details in terms of what the synergies will mean. Of course, synergies could also mean job losses, job cuts for both sides. So there is still a lot of details to be worked out. So the deal is expected to be completed by the end of this year. So at least there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to what Crisis's future will be. UBS initially offered $1 billion US dollars yesterday to buy Credit Suisse. Now, that figure rejected out of hand by Credit Suisse officials. They argued the bank's property holdings alone are worth that much. Now, the two Swiss giants are going to merge into one. UBS is going to wind down many of Credit Suisse's operations, laying off workers, as you heard, merging departments as well. Now, Credit Suisse's latest problems began Wednesday when the Saudi National Bank, if you remember, said that they would not invest any more money into Credit Suisse. Now, the Saudis did not want to cross a 10% regulatory threshold. How has that move turned out for the Saudis? Yeah, in some fashion, it seems to have worked against them, at least when you look at what's transpired. So they came out with a very strong message, at least that was the optics, that they would not invest any further in Credit Suisse. And investors were spooked by that tone, that message, when you have your largest investor not helping you out any further, that sends a signal that where is that last resort of help coming from? So that just triggered a slump in Credit Suisse's stock price. And then you have the market cap of Credit Suisse going down. And that stake that SMB was holding on to, Saudi National Bank, they paid $1.5 billion for a 9.9% stake. That is now just worth $215 million. So a fraction of what they paid for, and I think they will have to just reflect on the missteps that led to this uh, uh, this um, current position. Of course, not entirely their fault, but it is a misfortune. 
Yeah, one unusual aspect of this merger, Ryan, is that some $17 billion of Credit Suisse bonds are now essentially worthless. This upends the usual pecking order when it comes to investing, putting equity investors ahead of bondholders. What do you make of this? Yeah, it is quite unusual. And like you pointed out, typically bondholders are in a stronger footing when it comes to queuing up for the leftovers when a company goes bankrupt. In this case, it involves what's called the 81 bonds or the additional tier bonds, also known as the cocoa bonds or the contingency convertible bonds. So these bonds are the riskiest types of bonds. And when it comes to risk, you get paid more for these risks. So in this case, it is not paying out for these bondholders because the regulators have come to say, hey guys, guess what? your bonds are now worthless because we are writing it down. So they are trying to transfer the risks or the burden when it comes to this deal onto the bondholders rather than to taxpayers per se um, based on the structure of how they are trying to reorganize the merger. So that's the short end of the stick for many of these bondholders who are now, whoever point, uh, crying foul over how this has transpired. They were expecting to be paid at least in front of the queue, but now they are just seeing everything go up in smoke. A bit of history before we move on. Credit Suisse was founded way back in 1856, became a linchpin of Swiss finance. UBS, on the other hand, was born from decades of mergers between smaller Swiss lenders. UBS is known for having a conservative culture, while Credit Suisse has been embroiled in bad investments and scandals. Ryan, what does the fall of Credit Suisse really have to say about Swiss, Switzerland's standing in the financial world? I mean, what do you think this impact could mean for the nation? Yeah, Credit Suisse, an institution, was founded more than 160 years ago. And they started out as a bank to finance Switzerland's railway network. And then from there, they grew to become a symbol of a financial powerhouse in Switzerland alongside UBS. And now it is finally the end of the chapter when it comes to Credit Suisse. They have been bought over by UBS. And I think that kind of reflects how tough it is in the banking sector these days to just hold on to your market share and leadership. Things are changing so fast. You have digital banks. You have also all the pressures from other fronts where you have regulations in place as well. And also, there's no lack of choice when it comes to where the wealthy can bank. So, at some stage, people are asking the question, why do I need to stick with Credit Suisse when it's going through so many scandals, so many problems? Why would I need to still stick with Credit Suisse? And I think that was a problem that the crisis of confidence in Credit Suisse, they just dug a hole that was just too deep for them to get out of. And I think that's going to be a lesson for many banks to figure out what needs to be in place before they get into a similar Credit Suisse hole in future. What does the fall of Credit Suisse say about, uh, well, I, you, we, we can go into this tomorrow, really. In other banking news, I want to move on because it is now 12 minutes past nine on the clock. You're with me here on Your Money. I'm Michelle Martin, and he is the wonderful Ryan Huang. Now, the U.S. Federal Reserve and other central banks across the globe making it easier for financial institutions to access U.S. dollars. This action announced on Sunday aims to cushion the markets against the potential impact of bank problems. The latest here, Ryan. Yeah, so here is more confidence 
being brought forth from reassurances from the Federal Reserve and other global central banks. So it involves them setting up what's called a bit of um, arrangement called um, swap operations. So this will give them access to liquidity of US dollars. It involves the Fed, the Bank of Canada, the Bank of England, as as well as the Bank of Japan, the European Central Bank, and the Swiss National Bank. So they will more frequently offer so-called swap operations to give foreign banks week-long access to the US dollar financing. Typically, it happens weekly. Now, these offerings will be given daily. So it's all part of helping to reassure banks and financial institutions that they can get access to US dollars any time of the week. And hopefully give some, um, I guess, ease the tensions or ease the jitters right now that's playing out in the banking sector. Now, the fact that the central banks are taking action underlines just how serious this situation has become. Central banks typically pull out of such programs amid acute problems. Think back to the 2008 financial crisis or maybe the 2020 market meltdown. Now, one of the banks in the U.S. that has been in focus this week is First Republic. It received more bad news over the weekend, this time from a ratings agency. Tell us more. Yeah, First Republic Bank has been going back and forth in the past few days uh, around headlines about what's being done. So it's been downgraded again, and this time by S&P Global. And this is just days after they cut the lender to junk. So S&P has lowered First Republic's long-term issue credit rating to B+, from double B+. And this is just reflective of how much confidence it has in First Republic, even though it has received the backing of 11 of the largest banks in the U.S. with a fund, a backstop fund of $30 billion. Despite that, despite First Republic Bank come out to say they can well manage any short-term deposit activity, it looks like the ratings agencies are just not voting with their confidence, um, not showing a vote of confidence yet on that front. U.S. regulators have found a buyer to take over the assets of last week's failed banks, one of them at least, Signature Bank in New York, a subsidiary of New York Community Bank Corp, will purchase Signature Bank's deposits and loans. There's still no buyer, though, for the bank that set this crisis into motion. You remember Silicon Valley Bank in California. One bit of good news from ratings agencies, and this has to do with Asia's bank. What is it, Ryan? Yeah, so... The question has been, will it affect Asia? What's playing out in the US and in some parts in Europe, the banking sector issues? How resilient are Asia-Pacific banks? So it turns out, going by most people, it is relatively contained. What's playing out in SVB and Signature Bank are very unique to those banks and to the banking sector there. So in terms of exposure to banks in Asia-Pacific, it is limited and going by what Fitch is saying, they say their exposures among Fitch-rated banks in APAC to SVB and Signature, they believe are not material to their credit profile. So that's good news. And this reflects that Asia-Pacific banks have stronger fundamentals and also they see any significant risk of volatility in deposits for what's playing out here in the region to be well covered by any potential intervention by governments in Asia-Pacific who can step in to support their banks 
when needed, especially when you have so much turmoil, uh, including how maybe perhaps digital banks might be in trouble down the road or any other form of trouble, the governments in Asia-Pacific will likely step in to mitigate further risk. So in terms of risk profiles, they are quite confident of the regional um, standing. A bit of good news from ratings agencies. Um, and uh, I, I just want to turn to broader markets now because of this. Now, despite losing ground on Friday, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, they both finished higher for the week. So this likely means that today investors are going to be looking to Asia and Europe to see how markets react to the latest financial headlines that we've been trying to crunch this morning, Ryan. Um, the banking crisis rekindling recessionary fears, particularly if it becomes more difficult for businesses to take out loans. So how big a threat is this? And is this likely to play into the Fed's interest rate decisions when it meets this week? Yeah, I think that's a key point. Mm. How do you read into this entire situation. There are good points, there are bad points, good news and bad news to take away. It really is a glass half full, half empty kind of thing. So if you look at it, glass half empty, you can kind of ask a question, what will it mean for the economic outlook? Will we see a slowdown in hiring because of all the concerns now playing out? Will we see banks starting to tighten when it comes to the lending? And that, will, of course, will mean possibly businesses struggling to borrow at a more favorable rate than before. And of course, when it comes to startups, you have investors starting to ask maybe even more questions. And then you could see a slowdown in the startup ecosystem. And then, of course, that could lead to slowdown in activity and jobs. And it just spirals on from there and create that recession if it's not already there to turn it even worse. So that's all in the mix in terms of potential scenarios. So a lot hanging over the air. So some fears among investors that we could see this crisis unfolding. We're not out of the woods yet. So that's, I think, one of the issues investors this week will be trying to grapple with. What sort of clarity we'll get from policymakers as well as from the banking sector on how things will play out? How will the UBS Credit Suisse merger eventually play out? How many losses we'll see in the banking sector? How many other banks will be in the mix when it comes to potential issues when it comes to all the uh, leverage they've been uh, having in the past few years when it comes to rates going up. So all that is going to be a lot of question marks over the next few months. Now, we've talked a lot about banks. What else is on investors' radars this week, Ryan? What are you crunching? Yeah, so besides the FOMC, which will be the big one to watch out for, I am watching tensions between the US and China. And this is around TikTok. The US has launched a criminal investigation into TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, over improper access to personal information of several U.S. citizens. And guess what? Among them were two journalists, one of them from Forbes. So this involves how some employees in ByteDance were accessing device information such as IP addresses. So this would give them a clue where they accessed it, what they accessed. So it is raising a lot of question marks around what level of digging personal information was um, being done by these rogue employees. So this is raising a lot of question marks. And in the backdrop is the Biden administration trying to make a push for TikTok to be banned. So you have this playing out. And of course, China could respond to it. And this could then force a sale of TikTok. So that's playing out in the tech space. That's something I'm watching out for. All right. Time for Up or Down. Let us start now with Baidu. 
All right. Baidu is in the news these days because of its chatbot Ernie. And I would be going with up. And it looks like investors are getting back into Baidu after seemingly disappointed from the presentation of the Ernie bot. So that was an initial sell-off. But it looks like investors are now jumping back in. So I would go back with up with you're going up with up. Yeah, I'll join you there as well. Look at these driverless robo-taxis in Beijing. Amazing. Baidu's won a permit for these. They really look like something out of the movies. Up for Baidu as well as for privately company Pony.ai. Okay, let's turn to Singapore companies. Uh, Ryan, let's start with ST Engineering. How's it doing? I'm going with up for ST Engineering. And this is with a contract win in Taiwan. $430 million for a real services contract. So it is going to make some way into the expansion of its train business there. So this will see lead systems integration and project management for the new Kaohsiung MRT Red Line South Extension. Yeah, so good for ST Engineering with that $430 million contract in Taiwan. This meant to manage and integrate a new MRT line. So that's an up for ST Engineering for sure. The cocoa company, JB Foods. All right, I am going with up because Popia King, Sam Goy, has bought more <laughs> stuff, I mean more shares in JB Foods. And this will raise his stake from 24.48% to 24.50% after he buys or acquires 41,400 shares of JB Foods at 52 cents a piece. Yeah. Yeah, Capital Land in talks to acquire 1.5 billion US dollars in assets in Vietnam. This could be, it will be actually, one of the largest property deals in the country if it does go through. So that is definitely an up for Capital Land in my book. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you about a scandal that seems to be even worse than previous ones. Uh, it didn't happen in transit on, on some sort of ship and port. Uh, we're talking about the story of the London Metal Exchange being rocked by a scandal that affects nickel markets. No nickel in the story though, right, Ryan? That's the problem. <laughs> the, the LME oh. discovered bags of stones instead of nickels. In its uh, Rotterdam warehouse, what's going on? Yeah, it just feels very weird to hear these stories in this day and age when we have so many systems in place, computers, checks and balances, x-ray machines, and what have you. And here you have in a warehouse what was supposed to be nickel. You've got bags of stones instead. How did this get by all the security guards and all the checks and balances. So what's playing out here is in this warehouse in Rotterdam, it was found that instead of nickel, um, well, it's bags of stones. So the amount of metal represents just 0.14% of the live nickel inventories on the LME, which is worth about $1.3 million at current prices. So in terms of the wider impact, it's not a big deal, just a small drop in the ocean. But it does send quite a bit of a shock because of the wider implications. If you think about it, if you can find bags of stones in that corner of the warehouse, where else can you find bags of stones? So I imagine there's going to be a lot of tossing and turning of all the nickel inventories, looking through all the bags at some point, what else they might be finding and hopefully no nasty surprises. Oh my goodness, why does this keep happening, Ryan?
That's a good question. You're going to have to get LME on board. What's going on? <laughs> Who has been putting stones in the bags? The London Metal Exchange still dealing with the fallout of a crisis last year, by the way, that led to cancellations of billions of dollars worth of trades. The LME is expected to announce a series of reforms by the end of this month to address this issue. Very peculiar indeed. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Thanks so much for your company. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.